Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn your Bibles, if you will, with me this evening to Galatians chapter 3. I want to talk to you about uh, having faith for the miraculous. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 3. Paul is writing to the Galatians. Uh, many scholars, I, I, I agree with them on this point. Many scholars believe that the, uh, the letter to the Galatians was attached to, the, to the, what we know of as the, the letter of the book of he, called Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews does not identify itself as having an author. We know somebody wrote it, but we don't know who. The, uh, the structure and the, the wording and, and so forth lends itself uh, in many, many people's opinion, many scholars' opinion, and I certainly agree with this as well, that Paul was the author of the book of Hebrews. Well, why would Paul write a letter to the, book, uh, write a letter to the Hebrews? Um, he didn't title it. We did. But why would he write a letter to the Hebrews and not identify himself as the author? Uh, furthermore, the, uh, the letter is written in such a way that the, that the reader is uh, assumed to know who the author is. Well, how is that possible if there was no author identified? How would, or how would anybody expect or why would anybody expect to write a letter, not put your name on it, and, know, and everybody know that it was from you? Well, the answer to that could be, and, and I believe uh, the best explanation is, that it was attached to another letter that Paul did identify himself as the writer. Now, the, um, uh, one of the reasons that, um, uh, that many believe, uh, me included, that uh, these two letters were combined or attached one to another is because we know what's happened in the Galatian church or the churches in the region of Galatia. Galatia is kind of like the southwestern part of the United States. It's a region rather than a city. And in this, uh, this region, there are many uh, towns and cities that Paul visited on uh, two of his missionary journeys. And uh, we have records of the, the first times he was there in the churches that he started. We know that after Paul left from uh, these, this area and beginning the churches, that uh, the Jews came in, uh, perhaps Jewish Christians. It's a little fuzzy on that. Some were Jewish Christians. Others were just followers of the law of Moses. That, uh, but even the Jewish Christians were holding fast to the law of Moses and just adding Jesus to it. And, uh, and so they came in and tried to disrupt the Galatian churches and try to make them change what they believed or what Paul had taught them to believe. So in chapter 3 of Galatians, Paul starts off by saying, uh, you foolish Galatians. Paul writes, uh, uh, one of the reasons we believe that he wrote two letters and attached these two letters is he writes one to the Gentile Christians, one letter to the Gentile Christians that we know of as the book of Galatians. The other letter he wrote to the Jewish Christians not just in the region of Galatia, but he knew that that letter would get back to Rome. He's writing it to Jewish Christians everywhere. And so he says to the Galatian Christians, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth and crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. He's trying to make his case. He's building his case. He's not there, but he's writing back to them after he's left. He said, Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh, meaning the works of the law, well, the law of Moses, keeping the law of Moses. Now skip down with me in verse 5. Well, we'll read verse 4. It, it won't take anything away from it. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? In other words, he's saying, have you gone through the trials, the faith trials that you've been through, just to turn around and start becoming doers of the law, the law that Jesus fulfilled? Verse 5, he said, he therefore that ministers to you the spirit. Well, who does that? God does. He, therefore, that ministers the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. Who does that? God does that. People aren't miracle workers. God's the miracle worker. 
Now, God does miracles through us when we uh, use the name of Jesus to do the same works that he did. But he's talking about God. So he says, God that ministers the spirit to you and God that works miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? I like another translation on this. I think it's Moffat's translation that says this. It said, he that ministers the spirit to you or gives the Holy Ghost to you and he that works miracles among you. So there he's evidently uh, knows that they're uh, familiar with miracles. Uh, The book of Acts tells us that Paul did miracles in the region of Galatia the first time he was there. So he says, God that ministers the spirit and does miracles among you, does he do it in response to your keeping the law or by the hearing of faith? See, he's talking about what brings about miracles. What brings about receiving the Holy Ghost? Well, you receive the Holy Ghost the same way you receive Jesus, and that's by faith. But how do you receive miracles? Is it by keeping the works of the law? Is it in, does God do, do a miracle in response to our keeping the law of Moses? Or does he do a miracle because of our resp- uh, the, in response to the hearing of faith or the keeping of faith? Verse 6 is the answer. He answers his own question. He said, here's how it works. Here's what produces miracles. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In other words, he's saying God ministers the spirit and does miracles in response to one and only one thing. And that is the same kind of faith that Abraham had. Now, what was Abraham's faith like? Let me give you a couple of points. This will cover several periods of time in Abraham's life. Abraham's faith was very simply this. Let me give you a couple of bullet points. Number one, he simply believed the word of God. He had faith that God would do exactly what he promised. Romans chapter 4 tells us that. That was in relation to Isaac, his son being born when he was past the age to have children. Secondly, it says Abraham was fully persuaded by the word of God alone. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. He was fully persuaded based on God's word alone. Now, this is the kind of faith that produces, the mir- produces miracles or receives a miracle. Next thing it says about Abraham's faith, the Bible teaches us, is that he held fast the beginning of his confidence when his faith was tested. He refused to cast away his confidence just because things didn't look like they were going his way. Next, it says, the Bible tells us, teaches us that he was wholly occupied with the word of God in the matter. Looking under the promise of God, Romans chapter 4 says, looking under the promise of God, he staggered not or wavered not through unbelief. He was wholly occupied with the word of God. Finally, the last point that I'll make mention of, and this is not concerning the birth of Isaac. This was concerning uh, when God tested him and uh, uh, commanded him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Didn't tell him to kill him. He said, offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And you know the story, how that Abraham was willing to do that, and the angel stopped him. Here's the last point of Abraham's faith that I'll bring out. He refused to cast away his confidence when God, by telling him to offer Isaac, was apparently removing the visible encouragement to his faith. See, Abraham believed God to have Isaac, but once Isaac was born, his faith wasn't ended. It wasn't the end of his faith. Now, it was the end of his faith to have the child. But when God said, now I want you to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, Abraham has been looking for several years. Isaac is probably 15, 16, 17 years old when, he's, uh, when Abraham's commanded to offer him up as a sacrifice. And so for 15 to 17 years, Abraham's been looking at Isaac as the fulfillment of the promise that God said, so shall your seed be. He told him to look at the stars in the sky. Can you number them? Abraham said, well, no, I can't. He said, well, that's how your seed's going to be. Well, what's the means of his seed becoming like the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore? Isaac. Isaac is the evidence of God's promise being realized. 
But what happens when God says, now offer him as a sacrifice? There goes that prop. There goes the means, the channel, the, the, the vehicle, whereby Abraham is looking at, his, at God's promise being realized. He considered not his own body. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Let's talk about the, Abraham's faith, the faith that produces miracles. Remember, the Holy Ghost is writing, telling us through Paul that the way to receive a miracle, the way for God to do a miracle for you or in you, is in response to the kind of faith that Abraham had and believed God with. Notice the beginning in verse 17. Here's what God's promised Abraham. God said to Abraham, I have made thee a father of many nations. And that's written in the old covenant. I have made thee the father of many nations. One of the most important things you ever need to recognize about the word, folks, is that God always speaks in past tense. It may be news to you, but it's not news to him. What he reveals to you is something that he's already planned and ordained before he ever tells you. So God said to Abraham, I have made thee the father of many nations. Well, Abraham didn't have any children at that point. The Bible says to us, by Jesus' stripes, you were healed. Well, I sure don't feel healed. I sure don't look healed. And the doctor sure doesn't say I'm healed. But as far as God's concerned, it's already done. Now, as far as you're concerned, it may not yet be done. As far as your physical body or your circumstances are concerned, it's not done. As far as Abraham was concerned, he was not yet physically, naturally, the father of many nations. But as far as God was concerned, it was already done. I have made thee the father of nations before him. I like another translation on this. It says like unto him, like unto him. In other words, the, the verse 17 is bringing out, here's how Abraham imitated God. I have made thee the father of many nations. It is written, I have made thee the father of many nations before him or like unto him who he believed, even God who quickens the dead and calls those things that be not as though they are. And calls those things that be not as though they are. The reason God speaks in the past tense, past tense, is because he's calling things that be not physically and naturally as though they are physically and naturally. Now, we certainly can't imitate God in being a quickener of the dead. We don't have enough power in ourselves to, to raise anything for the dead or make any dead thing alive. But we can certainly imitate God in what he says. And that's the point that verse 17 is, is bringing out. Here's the thing about Abraham's faith. Here's how Abraham believed God. He imitated God by calling things that be not as though they were. He imitated God by speaking in the past tense, even though the physical circumstances contradicted what he was saying. Verse 18, who against hope, that means without any natural, physical, circumstantial evidence, without hope, believed in hope. Now, that seems kind of difficult. That seems a little bit uh, um, contradictory. Without any natural hope, he believed in hope. Well, where did he get his hope? He's going to tell you in just a minute. Who without or against hope, believed in hope. Hope for what? That he might become the father of many nations. Where did he get that hope? If he had no natural circumstance that told him he could be the father of nations. He's talking about before Isaac was ever born, when Abraham was about 100 years old. If he had no natural evidence that he would ever be the father of many nations, all he had was God's promise that says, I've already made you so. So he has no natural hope to believe in. Where did he get the hope to become the father of many nations? According to that which was spoken. According to that which was spoken. According to that which was spoken. Folks, I want you to understand something. The faith that receives from God is always based on his word and his word alone. 
See, a lot of people are looking for the doctor to confirm what the, what the Bible says is theirs. And, oh, boy, they get encouraged. They may go to the doctor after being prayed for, and they'll say, oh, Pastor Mike, the doctor says I'm getting better. I've seen so many people lose their healing at that point. Because, see, now they've changed their, the basis of their faith from what God said, that healing belonged to them, to what the doctor says about the physical condition. Abraham wasn't like that. Abraham's faith wasn't like that. Let me tell you something, folks, and I want you to always remember this. It's going to be hard to swallow, but you need to know this. Real faith thrives on a test. Now, how many of you want the test? None of us do, but real faith thrives on the test because real faith is based solely on God's word and God's word alone. Without physical evidence, you've got nothing to rely on except a, a simple bare, naked word of God who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. Where did he get that hope? According to that which was spoken, what did God say? So shall your seed be. Again, he's talking about the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. So shall your seed be. And being not weak in faith. Notice that's a choice. One of the greatest lessons I ever learned in my, spirit, my spiritual journey and growing and, and developing in the knowledge of the word and so forth was that strength or weakness is a choice, not a result of circumstance. Because I was just like everybody else. I thought some people were just made stronger than other people. I'd see Brother Hagin. I'd see him stand in the face of circumstances. And I'd think, wow, how do you ever get like that? Then I read the word and saw that it was a choice. The people that you look at that are strong in faith have simply made a choice to be strong in faith. That's why Paul, writing to the church in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, Therefore, finally, brethren, Ephesians 6, verse 10, he said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and be in the power of his might. If that's not a choice, then he's just commanded some people to do what they cannot do. By the Holy Ghost, he's commanded some people to do what they're unable to do. That would make God unfair, wouldn't it? That would make God a respecter of persons, but he's not. The fact that he said, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might means everybody can. Now, not everybody will choose to be, but everybody can. And being not weak in faith, verse 19, he considered not his own body now dead. Now, the word consider is interesting because it doesn't mean that he denied the circumstances in his flesh. It doesn't say that he went around saying, my body's not dead. I'm not 100 years old and so forth. See, a lot of people try to confess things that... Um, are just simply a denial of the a denial of the realities of the circumstance. Abraham didn't do that. He recognized what was going on in his body or what wasn't going on in his body. He just didn't use that as the final word. That means instead of considering or looking intently at his body, he looked at something else, which is the whole point of what this passage is trying to get across. How was Abraham not weak in faith? How did he choose to be strong in faith? By not considering his circumstance. Not considering his circumstance. Folks, there's a, there's a passage of scripture in Jonah chapter 2. Everybody knows the story of Jonah. God told him to go to Nineveh and have a revival. Jonah said, no, I don't like people in Nineveh. I'm not going. So he went the other way. Got on a ship and went as far away from Nineveh as he could go. Well, running away from God never works. God knows where you are, whether you're on a ship or which direction you're heading. And so there was a great storm on the ship. And everybody start on the ship, all the people that, that don't know God and don't know Noah, they're looking around saying, man, this is some supernatural storm. There's a reason for this storm. And Jonah says, yeah, it's me. I'm running from God. 
Your only hope is to throw me overboard. He had to talk them into doing it. They said, no, no, if, if your God is causing the storm, that means he's really powerful and we don't want to make him angry by throwing you over. And Jonah finally said, you're going to drown if you don't. You're, the ship will be wrecked and everybody will drown and die if you don't. So they threw him overboard. And God had prepared a fish to swallow him up. Now in the belly of the fish, in Jonah chapter 2, it says in the belly of the fish, Jonah prays. And he makes a statement. I think it's about verse 8. He said, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Now what Jonah is doing, the first seven verses of the chapter, he's praying for deliverance. He's, now, now get this, folks. You can't miss it any worse than Jonah missed it. You can't rebel against God any worse than Jonah rebel against God. You just can't do it. You can't run in the opposite direction any worse or any further or any more than Jonah ran from God. So we're talking about somebody that has totally missed it with God. Totally missed it. Has no basis, no foundation to look for the mercy of God for anything other than God is merciful. He doesn't deserve anything. But he lifts up his eyes in the belly of the fish. He lifts up his eyes and he says, okay, Lord, I'll look towards your temple. I'll look towards your plan. I'll look towards your purpose. I'm now willing to go to Nineveh. And then he says of the circumstances. Now, whatever the circumstances are in the belly of a great fish. I don't know if there are digestive juices that are eating his flesh away. There's seaweed wrapped around his head. There's all kinds of gross stuff that's going on. He may not be alone in there. Who knows? I mean, sharks swallow stuff, you know. This is a giant fish. Apparently, he's got enough room to stay alive. You could really get gross and nasty about Jonah and the fish, you know. And so whatever the circumstance is, Jonah says that those circumstances are lying vanities. Why? Because God says, you're going to Nineveh. And the way he says it is they that observe to consider, to look at the circumstances that he calls lying vanities. Any circumstance that contradicts or refutes what God says is yours or what you can have because of what Jesus has done for us, Jonah calls a lying vanity. And he says, looking at those lying vanities, the circumstances that contradict God's word, is the only way that you can forsake the mercy of God. It's not that God doesn't have mercy for everybody. He does. But not everybody will accept his mercy. Many people will look at the circumstances and forsake that mercy. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy verse 9 he goes to another step and he says so i'll add the praise of thanksgiving to it i'll praise you he praised god before the answer he praised god while he was in the belly of the fish abraham does the same thing and being not weak in faith he considers not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old neither yet the deadness of sarah's womb verse 19 just simply says he did not focus on the circumstances he did not occupy his gaze he did not occupy his attention on the circumstances well then he must be occupied with something else what something else is he occupied verse 20 he staggered not at the promise of god through unbelief but was strong in faith giving glory to god i like this from the american standard version it says but looking under the promise of god looking under the promise of god if he's not looking at his circumstance which Jonah called lying vanities, what's he looking at? But looking at the promise of God, he staggered not or wavered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith. You want to know how to be strong in faith? Don't look at your circumstances. Instead, look at the word and only the word. 
but looking unto the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith. Strong faith doesn't stagger. Strong faith thrives on a test. Strong faith thrives when the circumstances contradict what the word says. But was strong in faith. How do we know he was strong in faith? Well, because he was occupied with looking at the promise. And secondly, he gave glory to God. Same thing Jonah did when he was in the belly of the fish. He offered the sacrifice of thanksgiving before the fish ever spit him out. May have been a singing that caused the fish to spit. Never know. Verse 21, and being fully persuaded, and being fully persuaded, talking about Abraham, the faith that receives miracles, the faith that performs the miraculous or receives the miraculous, and was fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to perform. What caused Abraham to be fully persuaded? There's one very simple answer, folks. It's what he's looking at. You become persuaded by what you focus your attention on. A lot of people are persuaded that the word won't work because all they look at is the circumstances. A lot of people are persuaded that their prayers aren't going to be answered because all they, list, all they focus their attention on is what the devil is telling them. And he'll use any, variety, any number of sources, a variety of sources to tell you the same thing, to bring doubt to you. He'll bring well-meaning Christians to you to make sure that you know everything that they've heard about your situation or people that like you. But it all comes down to one and only one thing, and that is, what do you focus your attention on? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Hearing does not just mean hearing with the natural ear. It means what you focus your attention on. See, you have faith in what you see. And if you see the word of God, you have faith in his word. But if you, have, if you keep your attention focused on the circumstances, then you're going to be persuaded concerning your circumstances. Some people are persuaded, even though the Bible says Jesus died for their sins and their sicknesses, some people are persuaded that their situation is too hard for God. How did they get persuaded like that? They looked at the circumstance. They looked at the doctor's report. They looked at their bodies. But Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, um, what if we're believing God? Turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. What if we're believing God and things get worse? What if we're believing God? What if we've been standing in faith to believe God for some time? And things don't change or they change for the negative. What about that? Well, let me ask you a question. What if, how many of you believe in the rapture? How many of you believe Jesus is coming back for the church? Okay. If you have a pain in your body, do you stop believing in the rapture? Why? Because the pain in your body is not enough to stop the promise of God, the declaration of God, the declaration of what God's going to do from coming to pass. Well, if the pain in your body is not enough to stop the rapture from taking place, how is the pain in your body enough to stop healing from taking place? If pain can't change the promise of God, then why focus on pain? Doesn't that make sense? But that's what the devil uses to try to persuade us. The devil, you'll pray and say, I believe I received my healing. And the next morning you'll wake up and you hurt worse than you did before you prayed. And the devil says, see, it's not working. That's the same thing as the devil saying, oh, you're hurting today. Jesus isn't really coming back. Well, that's stupid. 
That's absurd. We don't make that connection. Well, then why should pain be connected to any promise of God? Why should pain be a a reason or a foundation to believe that any promise of God would not be true or would fail to come to pass? Mark chapter 11, Jesus is speaking. He talks about the same kind of faith that Abraham had. Verse 22, and Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. He's just performed a miracle. He's cursed the fig tree the day before and now it's dead, dried up from the roots. Peter calls into question and says, look, master, the fig tree which you cursed yesterday is withered up and dried up. There must be an implied question there because Jesus answers the question. Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. I did this by faith in God. Here's what faith in God looks like. For whosoever, verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Shall not doubt in his heart. Without going into a big lengthy discussion or teaching about this, not doubting in your heart means don't say anything to the contrary. Don't speak according to your flesh. Don't speak according to your circumstances. Don't speak according to your thinking. Shall not doubt in his heart means don't change your confession. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Only condition he puts on this is, and shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe. Well, he must be talking about believing in the heart. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. What's he going to have? Is he going to have what he believes? No, he's going to have what he says. Now, why does what you say come to pass? Because you believe what you say will come to pass. That's the law of faith. Then he says, tells us how the prayer of faith works in verse 24. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray. Everybody say when. See, the key, ver- the key word in verse 24 is, is the word when. Jesus is giving us the definition or the explanation of faith, the prayer of faith, by telling us when things work. And when is always the problem with faith, folks. Any question that anybody ever asks you or me or anybody else about faith is always going to be when. How long? Which is when. Yeah, but I I believed and nothing happened. That's a when question. When's it going to take place? It's all about time. Jesus is explaining the issue of time. Therefore, I say unto you, verse 24, what things soever you desire. Well, how many of you desire healing for your body? Well, then it should work on that too, shouldn't it? What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe. When do you believe? When you see a change in your body? When the doctor tells you things have, have, uh, have gotten better? When you feel better? When you pray, believe. Believe what? Believe that you receive them, the things you desire, and you shall have them. Notice that the promise of healing, if we're using healing in, uh, as the, the thing that we desire, because this is healing school, he's saying healing begins after you believe you receive. Now let me compare that with another verse of Scripture. Turn with me over to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, I think it's verses 14 and 15. First John chapter five, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him. This is the confidence that we have in him. This is what you can know about God. This is the confidence that we have in him, 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if. And if. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, then we know. Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. What is he saying? He's saying all you've got to know is that you're asking according to God's will and God hears you. And once he hears you, the answer is yours. That's Mark eleven twenty four, folks. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. I love a statement that F.F. F. Bosworth makes in Christ the Healer. He says this. He said, our prayers should be like Noah building the ark. He said, we should have the same attitude towards God's word, which is the revelation of his will. Our attitude towards God's word should be the same as Noah building a ship on dry land and filling the cracks with pitch because God said water's coming. I love that. That's the way our prayer life should be. Here's the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will. Well, all that means is if you find the word of God on your subject or on your situation, because the word of God is the will of God, isn't it? So if we ask anything according to what the word of God said belongs to us, whatever we ask, whatever it is, big or small, seemingly possible or impossible, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked him for. Now, where's the room for the devil to say it's not working if we have that confidence in him? Where's the room for the devil to say, well, yeah, but you've been believing for years and it hadn't happened yet. Now, don't get me wrong. He will say that. But where's the foundation for us to listen to that or give any credibility to his saying whatsoever? But what so often happens is people start going to the Lord and they say, but Lord, I've been believing for so long. I, I, I just, I'm just convinced of this, that God would love to speak up and tell his children, quit quoting the devil to me. When the Bible says our prayer life should be a quoting or reminding, putting God in remembrance of what his word says. So many times people are trying to put God in remembrance of what the devil spoke to him. And that doesn't work. But Jesus said about the prayer of faith, Jesus said, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, anything, sky's the limit, what things soever you desire, put it together with what John said is, uh, is uh, you could say it this way, whatever you can find the word on, whatever you can find a scripture that covers, whatever situation that you can find a scripture for, when you pray, believe that you receive whatever the scripture says you can have and you shall have it. You shall have it. You shall have it. You shall have it. See, folks, when, the chil- when Joshua and the children of Israel walked around the walls of Jericho, they didn't quit after the first day and say, well, it didn't work. And what if God hadn't told them it would be six days and on the seventh day the walls would come down? What if he said, walk till I tell you to quit or walk till the walls fall down? I'm convinced Joshua, knowing the, the character and the nature that that guy had, I'm convinced he'd still be going around that wall. But see, we let circumstances get involved. We let our feelings get involved. 
We start thinking, yeah, but it's been so long. And, you know, surely if it's going to work, it would have worked by now. I've said this over and over again. I wish that Jesus had said, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe for 30 minutes that you receive them and you shall have them. Wouldn't it be great if we knew that we only had to stand in faith for 30 minutes, no matter what the situation was, and it would be done? But would that make the word of God any more true than when Jesus said, believe that you receive them? When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And you shall have them. And you shall have them. Well, when are we going to have them? What difference does it make? You will have them. Well, I'm just not willing to do that, Pastor Mike. Well, then you'll have to choose to do without. Because the Bible doesn't say you'll have whatever you pray. The Bible says if you believe that you receive when you pray, then you'll have them. It's up to you. It's a choice to be weak in faith or strong in faith. Abraham was strong in faith, looking under the promise of God. He was strong in faith, looking under the promise of God. He was totally and completely occupied with what God said and not with anybody else. Now, he could see his body. He could see the circumstances in his flesh. It was an impossibility, a physical impossibility for him to have a child, a physical impossibility for his wife to have a child. Their reproductive systems had stopped working. That's about as impossible as you can get, isn't it? You can't tell me, no matter what your situation is, that it's more impossible than Abraham and Sarah faced. And that's why their example of faith is given to us to follow, as a pattern to follow. Because it doesn't matter how impossible it looks. It doesn't matter how difficult it seems. It doesn't matter what you feel about it. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. Boy, don't you know if Abraham had gone through town saying, God told me I was going to have a child. I'm 100 years old and God told me I was going to have a child. What do you think about that? Yet that's what so many Christians do. They want to take a poll. They want to see what their friends think about it. Well, who cares what your friends say about it? Or think about it. What matters is what did God say? I've been in this long enough to know that you give any number of Christians a chance to talk you out of believing God and they'll do it. So don't give them the chance. Become occupied with one and only one thing. And that is the truth of God's word. He that doeth miracles, that ministers the spirit among you and doeth miracles, does he do it by the response or in response to the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Folks, do you realize, I mean, just stop and imagine for a second. Consider like this is a movie. Forget it being real life. Think about it as a movie. Think about God telling mankind, whatever you will say and believe, take the word of God. Here's a book filled with promises whatever promise you claim if you just trust me to make it work it'll work now imagine the 3d effects and and special effects that the movies would do with all that kind of stuff imagine what a great movie that would make folks that's real life do you realize that it honors god for you to believe his word when the circumstances and everything around you and that everything that surrounds you contradicts it that honors god And do you know that the Bible says God honors those that honor him? Don't run away from tests of faith. Don't run away from trials. Don't run away from the circumstances that make things look impossible. Run in the middle of it and say God's word says. Run in the middle of it and say it is written. That's what Jesus did. Devil came to him. Jesus answered him every time it is written. He didn't stop and say, Mr. Devil, I command you to leave me until I feel stronger. 
I've been fasting for 40 days, you know. Well, the devil will come in your weakest moment. Jesus answered the same way every time. He didn't make a big deal about it. He didn't make a big fuss about it. He just said it is written. If God said it, folks, it's impossible for it not to be realized. Let me say it again. Our position on the word of God should be like Noah. Our prayer life, our walk of faith should be like Noah building an ark, building a ship in the middle of dry land and filling the cracks with pitch because water is coming. Your answer is coming. All you have to do is hold fast to it. All you have to do. One more scripture I want to show you, and that's over in Hebrews chapter 10. Here's another characteristic of Abraham's faith. Hebrews chapter 10. Notice in verse 35 and 36. It says, cast not away therefore your confidence. Cast not away therefore your confidence. Which has great. uh, Look with me over to verse 23. Before we finish verse 25. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Profession is the word confession. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Why? Without wavering. Why? For he is faithful that promised. Now verse 35. Cast not away therefore your confidence. Cast not away therefore your confidence. Why? Because God is faithful. It's impossible for his word to fail to come to pass. God's word cannot fail. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will never fail. If the word of God says you're healed, you're healed. And all it takes is Abraham's kind of faith. If If Abraham could do it, he knew so much less than you know. And if Abraham can do it, you can do it. The Bible even tells you how he did. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Great recompense of reward. What's the recompense of reward? The answer that you're looking for. The healing that you seek. The finances that you're trusting God to provide. Whatever it is that you're believing God for, that's the recompense of reward. Cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. That sounds a lot like Jonah. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Give up the answers that they need. Give up God's promise to provide for them in every way. Cast not away your confidence, therefore, which has great recompense of reward. I like the word great, not a little recompense. Great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God. What does that mean? Well, in our context, we're talking about believing you receive your healing. That after you have done the will of God, after you believe you receive your healing, you might receive, might is the word shall, you shall receive the promise. It is conditional. It's conditional on you doing the will of God. Well, what's the will of God for you concerning healing? Believe that you receive. You can't do anything to earn your healing. You can't do any work to provide your healing. So what is the will of God concerning you receiving your healing? Faith. The same kind of faith as Abraham. To believe that you receive. For you have need of patience. Why? Time. Patience is about time. If everything worked instantly, we wouldn't need any patience. For you have need of patience. That after you have done the will of God. In our circumstance, what we're talking about for healing school. After you believe you receive your healing. You might receive your healing. Folks, it's impossible for God's word to fail. 
The only thing that's possible is for you to give up. Now, that is possible. And that's what the Bible tells you. Keep holding on. Look under the promise of God and not the circumstance. Believe the truth and not a lie. Believe God and not the devil. And you will receive the promise. You will receive the promise. That's the kind of faith that, that receives the miraculous. And have you ever noticed that God makes no big deal about miracles versus regular receiving stuff? It's all miraculous in one sense. But no matter how impossible something looks, it's all the same. And that is faith. The same kind of faith that Abraham exercised. Faith that is occupied wholly with the word of God instead of anything else. Every time the devil says, yeah, but, why don't you turn around and say, but the word says. Every time he tries to question you, why don't you question him? He says, well, it's not going to work. You know you don't feel any better. You know you don't have any evidence that it's working. Yeah, but Mr. Devil, the word says, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes, I'm healed. You start talking to the devil like that, he will leave you alone. Because that's the same thing Jesus said. Jesus said it is written. He quoted the scripture to him. Start quoting the scripture to the devil. Start quoting what the word of God says to the devil. Well, I wouldn't know, Pastor Mike. I never know what to say when he starts speaking doubt in my ear. Well, then look at the promise. That's what Abraham did. That's what made him strong in faith. Looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. That's why James said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. It's not joyful, but we have to add faith to what we did. Add faith to the, to, the, to the word of God that we're standing on. Add praise to our faith is what I'm trying to say. That's why we have to make it joyful. How long do we have to stand, Pastor Mike? As long as it takes. What's your other option? Give up. Then when you get to heaven, you'll find out you could have had it if you just held strong and held fast in faith. Not me. I'm going to receive what Jesus purchased for me. Aren't you? Let's make a confession together. Say this after me. According to God's word, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes, I was healed. Therefore, according to the word of God, it's God's will for me to be healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. No matter what it looks like, no matter what I feel like. I believe God's word is true. Therefore, I believe I receive my healing in Jesus' name. I refuse to confess otherwise. I refuse to consider the circumstances. I refuse to observe lying vanities. Because according to the word of God, by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands and thank God. Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Thank God like that's true already. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We bless your name. We thank you that healing is ours. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what the doctor says, healing is ours. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never fail. Thank you, Father, that forever your word is settled in heaven. And in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. So we declare that your word is established in our lives. It's forever settled in us in Jesus' precious name. We thank you, Father. Thank you for your faithfulness to watch over your word. Thank you for performing it in our lives. 
Thank you for causing us to have healing. That's your job, your responsibility. Our job is to believe we receive it. You said we shall have it. Thank you that we will. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Well, glory to God. It's been good to be in church. Amen. Have a great and wonderful week, and we'll see you Wednesday.